Good morning. I don't think I could say it better than that. Let's read this verse up here, the passage that it's speaking of. Today is Easter Sunday, or I like to call it Resurrection Sunday. And it is a good day. It says in Matthew 28, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly, tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. Resurrection, the resurrection. What a story, huh? Have you ever known anybody that's come back from the dead? I want to ask you a question this morning. What does the resurrection mean to you? What does the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ mean to you? It's a good question to ask. And I hope you take a moment to think about that. What does it mean? What does it mean to you? Certainly you must say that it represents victory over death. No one in the history of mankind has ever had victory over death like the Lord Jesus Christ, his resurrection. You know, there's a lot of people that in questioning, well, what comes after this life? There's a lot of different answers. You notice that? A lot of different answers. How are we to know what's true? What's true? To me, death represents a portal, like a door, like one of these doors over here. And it's a door that you, it's a one-way door. You see people going through it all the time. You hear about people going through it all the time. And there's all kinds of ideas of what's behind the door. But nobody knows for sure. Now comes along a man who goes through the door and he stays there for three days, then he comes back out the door. Now, if you want to know what's on the other side of the door, what would be the best course of action? Let's get together and imagine what's behind the door. Let's take a poll. Let's see what people believe. Not me. I'm going to ask the one that came back because only he has been on the other side. So certainly uh, resurrection represents that. The Lord Jesus Christ knows about the afterlife. He knows about eternity. He knows what happens after we die. And he cares. But to me, uh, resurrection means more than that. And I'd like to share with you what it means to me. And I think it's best illustrated in a story that we find in Mark chapter 2. 
Mark chapter 2. It was heard that Jesus was at home. And many were gathered there together, so that there was no longer room even to get near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. So he was teaching them from the word of God. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And being unable to get him, get him, uh, get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet of which had the paralytic lying on it. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, "My son, your sins are forgiven." But there were some of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, arise, take up your pallet and walk? Which one is easier? Well, one one might argue they're both just as easy to say, but the real point is which one is easier to prove? I can tell each and every one of you, as a matter of fact, people go to some church somewhere and they are told your sins are forgiven you. Real easy to say, right? Is it true? Who knows? Who can know? But you say to a paralytic, a paralyzed man, rise up and walk. Well, that's going to be proven real quick, <laughs> right? But in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise up, take up your pallet and go home. And he rose and immediately took up the pallet and went out in the sight of all, so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, We have never seen anything like this before. So could Jesus forgive sins? Easy to say. He proved it by doing something that wasn't easy to do. Right? And that's my point. Jesus accomplished the harder to prove that he could do the easier. Now we're talking in what he said, in a manner of speech. Was it easy to forgive sins? No, no. As a matter of fact, in the economy of God, it's much more difficult to forgive sins than to heal a body. (laughs) Because you're working in the face of the righteousness and justice of God, who pours out his wrath against sin and will not let it be swept under the carpet. There was something that needed to be done in order for Jesus to be able to forgive sins, and that's to it says he carried our sins. Our sins were placed on his body, in his body, on that cross, that he might bring us to God. He died a substitutionary death for you and for me. And God punished him in our place, that our debt would be paid. (laughs) Because it says the wages of sin is death. He died in our place. So you see, it wasn't easy for him to be able to forgive sins. Easy for him to say it, very difficult for him to do it. Much more difficult than healing a body. He didn't have to work against the laws of God to do that. He had to accomplish the laws of God to forgive us. But the principle's there, right? Easy to say, let me prove that I can do it by doing the harder. So when I think of the resurrection, 
Was that easy? No, that was hard. Has anybody ever done it before? No. So what does that mean? Well, that was the harder. What does it prove? It proves that he could do the easier. What's the easier? The things that he said. The very things that he said. And Jesus said and taught many things. So when I look at the resurrection, when I think of the resurrection, I think that what he's doing is he's proving by doing the most difficult, the hardest, the impossible. He raised him from himself from the dead like he said he would. And that, what it does, it shows that all the other things that he said, no problem, piece of cake. They're all true. They're all true. And so let's, let's take that premise and let's go back and look at some of the things he said. There are things that are easy to say. How do we know they're true? Because of the resurrection. See, that's where he proved they're true. So what are the things that he said? In John chapter 3, he said, now this is Jesus Christ, the one who was raised from the dead. He said, if I told you earthly things, John chapter 3, verse 12, if I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no one else has ascended to heaven, but he who has descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. What he's saying is here, here is, and he says it in another verse, I'll show you, I came from heaven. Easy to say. Anybody in here can say that. Can you prove it? He proved it through the resurrection. He came from heaven. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, if you don't know the story, Israel was in the wilderness, and there were serpents, snakes, poisonous snakes, biting people, and they died. They cried out to God, and God told Moses to set up a serpent on a stick, put it on a hill. If anybody's bit, Just look at the serpent and you will not die. What did it take to do that? It took faith. Faith in what? Faith in that serpent on a stick? No. Faith in what God said. I believe God. I look. I'm saved. He said in the same way the Son of Man is going to be lifted up. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So what he's saying is that when you realize that you've been bitten by sin, like the testimony we heard this morning, you look to Jesus for salvation and you trust him as your Lord and Savior, and guess what? You have eternal life. Well, that's easy to say. Can you prove it? The resurrection. Jesus proved it. The resurrection. It says in 524, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. He who hears my word, you have to hear the word of God, believes him who sent me. Now, notice it doesn't say believe in him who sent me. It doesn't say he who believes in God, who, who believes God. It's a big difference between believing in God and believing what God says. It says even the demons believe and they shudder. They believe in God. Of course, they know he exists, obviously. But we are to believe in what God says. What did God say? God said that who, he who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ has eternal life, has passed, and will not enter into judgment, has passed from death to life. Easy to say? Real easy to say. I just said it. Easy to prove. Very difficult. 
but the resurrection proves that what Jesus said is true. John 8, 21, he said it therefore again. And these were to those that did not accept him as their Lord and Savior. Those that were rejecting him, were not receiving him. He said, I said therefore again to them, I go away and you shall seek me. One day you'll seek me and shall die in your sins. Where I am going, you cannot come. Therefore the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says where I'm going, you cannot come. And he was saying to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are from this world, I am not from this world. I said, therefore, you, I said, therefore to you that you shall die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he. Actually, in the original, it's I am. You shall die in your sins. Unless you believe that I am. What he's saying is, unless you believe I am God. That's the words he's using there. Unless you believe I'm God, you shall die in your sins. Where I'm going, you can't come. I'm from above, you're from below. Easy to say, isn't it? Easy to prove? He proved it through the resurrection. Jesus also said this, and and my brother believes there's many ways to God. Really? Well, he's got a problem here not with what I think or what I say, but what Jesus says. Because Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Easy to say? Yes. Easy to prove? No. Unless, of course, you've risen from the dead. And he did. So my point is this. If he did the harder, the impossible, all these things he said are to be trusted and believed. Why? Because they're nothing compared to the resurrection of the dead. He was raised from the dead. After, you know, uh, this is what I like about Jesus. A lot of people have different ideas about the Lord Jesus Christ. He was not a milk toast kind of person. He walked into the temple... And this is what really impresses me, and, and, and it has a, a ring of truth. He walked into the temple, and there were money changers there, and they were making money off people's devotion to God. And that made him angry. And he went in there, and he turned over all their tables and chased them out of there with whips. And he said, my father's house shall be a house of prayer. You've made it into a den of robbers. And that made him upset. The Jews therefore answered and said to him, what sign do you show us? Seeing that you do these things, Jesus answered to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews therefore uh, said, It took 46 years to build the temple, and you're going to raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he'd said this, and they believed the scriptures and the words which Jesus had spoken. You see, he was talking, he was prophesying, he was predicting... You go ahead and kill me. I'm going to raise myself up in three days. And they didn't understand it at the time because he spoke about the temple, his body being the temple. But after he was raised from the dead, they remembered it. So we're going to see there's, there's time that Jesus predicted that I'm going to die and be raised on the third day. So it wasn't just that he came back to life. It was in the plan of God. And he told them ahead of time, but they weren't hearing it. We read in Matthew 16 about the transfiguration. And before that, he says, then he warned the disciples. What they, Peter, the God, God showed him, God the Father showed him who Jesus was. And so he was the Messiah. 
And it's not that they figured it out on their own, because nobody really can. It takes God to show you, but God showed them. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. And that would be the deliverer, the one that would deliver us from the penalty and the power of our sins. From that time, Jesus Christ began to show his disciples that he must go. He told them not to tell anybody who is a Christ. And then he began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. He says that in Matthew. He's telling them, I'm going to die. They're going to kill me. I'm going to be raised on the third day. And this is all part of the plan of God. Six days later, and this is the transfiguration that took place where Jesus went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, took Peter and James and John, his brother, and brought them to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. The Shekinah glory, God himself. And they were coming down from the mountain. Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. You see, he was telling them right and left, I'm going to raise from the dead. And then some Pharisees and scribes said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign shall be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He was predicting his death. Three days, three nights. So Jesus accomplished the most difficult thing ever, the impossible. He defeated death, the resurrection. That's what the resurrection means to me. It means that everything he said was true. Everything he said could be trusted. Everything he did, it says in Scripture, what he did happened. And it's proved by the resurrection. Now you might say, well, I don't know about the resurrection, whether it really happened. Really? Really? There's a book called Evidence Demands a Verdict that a fellow set out to prove that it didn't happen. Boy, was his mind changed. (laughs) Josh McDowell. When you think of the evidence that we have for the resurrection, if you call that into question, you have to call into question everything you know as truth. You really do. Because everything else doesn't hold up to the scrutiny that was placed before the resurrection. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 1, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you. Do you know what the gospel means? The word gospel? A lot of people don't know what that means. The gospel, a lot of people here know, do know what it means, but not everybody maybe. It means good news. The gospel is good news. It's good news that Jesus died for you on the cross. It's good news that he offers you eternal life as a free gift. And all you have to do is believe him and receive him. That's good news. It's good news that you don't have to pay the penalty of your sin and spend forever in hell, even though that's what you deserve and that's what I deserve. That's good news. What would you say? And he's talking to those that had received him, which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you also stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believe it in vain, for I delivered you to you as a first importance. This is the most important topic you can talk about on the face of the earth. If you're going to talk about something important with your friends, you can't pick something more important than this. That's why he says a 
first importance, this is what I talked to you about. And it's also what he received. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. And that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas. Then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 people at one time. And get this. Most of whom remain until now. If there was any doubt about what was written at the time. Most of those 500 people were alive live witnesses to corroborate this story. You don't get much more evidence than that. Most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Even then. Well, then he appeared to James and to all the apostles, and last of all, as it were, to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. That's the Apostle Paul talking. Jesus accomplished the most difficult thing possible, which verifies everything that he said. Everything. So, how much of what he says is important? Do you think that God takes on flesh, comes down to the earth to be to suffer at the hands of sinful men, and all this time he's teaching, and he's telling, and he's talking, and he's showing... Do you think any of that is insignificant? Do you think any of that's not important? It's all important. The whole is important. As a matter of fact, I have a Bible here, and maybe you have a Bible like mine, and it it has some letters in red. There are a lot of people that don't like that. What do the letters in red represent? Anybody know? Pardon? Pardon? The words of Jesus. And who's Jesus? He's God. Okay, the words in black, what do they represent? The word of God? Isn't that the word of Jesus? So you can see why some people have an issue. Wait a minute. Is one part of the word of God any special than the other part of the word of God? The whole thing's inspired by God. Right? It's all important. And so if I approach the word of God like I should, the whole Word of God is important and the resurrection proves the veracity of it and the importance of it. I need to pay attention because there's other things in there that are pretty scary that I need to be mindful of. And, and, and what happens to one individual can happen to all of us. It says, Jesus, the Lord Jesus spoke to Peter. Call him Simon. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to permission to sift you like wheat. You know what sifting wheat is, right? You put something through a strainer. Okay. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And he said to him, Lord, with you I'm ready to go both to prison and to death. And he said, I say to you, Peter, the cock will not crow today until you have denied me three times. You'll deny me three times that you even know me. Satan demanded permission to sift Peter. (laughs) Do you think he doesn't demand permission to sift everyone that takes the name of the Lord? I want to tell you, if you believe in the resurrection, you will be sifted. And you won't be sifted in the sense of, well, whether you believe in the resurrection. (laughs) 
course we believe in the resurrection. What Christian wouldn't? Easy to say. Prove it. I'll tell you how you prove it. Is whether you obey, follow, believe all the stuff in the whole word of God. And the minute that I don't, the minute I turn my back on even one verse, I'm being sifted and found out. Do I really believe in the resurrection? Do I really believe in the Lord of glory? Do I really believe that everything he says is true? Peter's life was on the line. (laughs) At least he felt that way. Was it really? Do you know this? I don't know him. He denied Jesus with cursings. He feared for his life. But we've got to remember, who is Jesus? Who's the Lord Jesus? He's God. Right? Nobody can take my life. Nobody. Unless he permits it. Period. That's what the Bible teaches. Can I believe in the resurrection and not believe that? No. Well, prove it. <laughs> Peter had an opportunity to prove it. Yeah, I know him. He's my Lord and Savior. He's God. You know he's God. He could have said that. You think God would have protected him? Sure, but even if he's not, even if he didn't, he'd be ushered into God's presence in heaven. So, sifted. Everyone is sifted, bar none. Some sifting is very severe, some not severe, not so severe. Some, for one sifting, may be more difficult than the same sifting for somebody else. And you know what the sifting is in your life if you know Lord Jesus Christ. And you know some of the sifting you've gone through. And God permits it. Why does he permit it? Why did he he demanded permission? You don't demand something of God. You ask permission. Satan demanded it. But God gave him permission. Just like he did with Job. Why is it that God does that? You ever think about that? I'll tell you why. It's not hard to figure out. He knew what was in Peter's heart. Satan had an inkling because he had studied him. But did Peter know what was in Peter's heart? Lord, I'll go to death with you. He didn't know. He didn't know that, listen, push comes to shove. The test comes when you're sifted. You will be found wanting. But I've prayed for you. And when you turn, strengthen your brother. See, the Lord knew what was going to happen. Peter was going to fail miserably. He was going to deny the Lord. And many times our lack of obedience, that's exactly what we're doing. We're denying the Lord. We're saying, I don't believe this. But Jesus knew that he would repent. Jesus knew that he would repent in tears. And Jesus restored him. And now what does he want him to do? Go and strengthen your brothers. Why? Because they're being sifted too. They're being sifted too. And there's nothing like feeling like a failure. Jesus knows what that's that's like because he knows our hearts and he knows our feelings. But he's a God of restoration. He's a God of resurrection. He could take something dead and give it life. Do you think he can't restore a discouraged Christian? Sure he can. He loves doing that. He loves doing that. He loves doing that. Now I was going to read a portion... But I would rather show you than read it. It's in the Old Testament. If you want to read it later, it's in Jeremiah chapter 23 or 36. And it's what this king did to God's word. And it's oftentimes what we do to God's word. You see, 
what we do as Christians is we take the Bible and we read about the resurrection. And that gives us encouragement and hope. Oh, this is great. Victory over sin, just trusting Jesus and we have eternal life. I love that stuff. Man, those are promises I claim. They encourage me when I'm down. They lift me up. Man, I like that. But then I turn in another part of the scripture, and it says something I don't like that says, if you want to follow Jesus, says to deny yourself. Take up the cross and follow him. Oh, wow. That means I'm going to have to... Ah, I don't like that. Let's look for another verse. And that's what they do. You know, sometimes you can't do that. You have to say, you know, I like that part. But I don't... What? Love my wife. Man, that's not easy. There we go. There, I can obey God. Look, I obey God. Right? Oh, what else does it say? Children, obey your parents. That's not always easy. So let's just cut that out. There. It's got all the good parts in it. Right? Tell me you as a Christian haven't done that. You won't admit to it. Most people won't. But for most Christians, I want to tell you, their Bible is full of holes. Not because God didn't give it complete, but because people like to pick and choose what they want to obey and what they want to believe. God says there's a blessing for children that obey their parents. When you're not obeying, what you're saying is, I don't believe God. Do you really believe in the resurrection? Can you say you believe in the resurrection? You don't believe the easy. Are you going to believe the hard? No. That's the way God sees it. I'm obeying God. Really, let me see your Bible. What's it say? Oh, it's not there. You take that one out. You think you're obeying God until somebody else comes out and points out, listen, this is a whole word of God. Let's look at it. Oh, I'm mad at you. How dare you? How dare you? No, it's out of love. It's out of love. Why is it out of love? And I'm going to close with this passage. I want you to just think today. Do I believe the resurrection? Easy to say. Prove it. Take the whole word of God. Examine yourself. See if you obey. It says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, just hears, say they believe, acts on them, maybe compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. The rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Great was its fall. That's the person who cuts holes in their Bible. That's the person that doesn't obey the whole of Scripture. You believe in the resurrection? I do. Let's prove it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we know the resurrection is something that just transcends our understanding in its implications. Lord, we know that 
by the resurrection, God the Father was, shows that he was satisfied with all of your work. Everything you said. It was all true. And Lord, we pray that we might be satisfied to obey all of your word. And Lord, I know that I'm no different than anyone else. And I have a flesh. And I could find excuses, but God forbid that I should ever reject a brother or a sister that seeks to point that out to me, Lord. I want to please you. And we pray that we would all have that heart and that attitude, Lord, because we want to, one day, those of us that know you, want to receive that well done, good and faithful servant. And Lord, we know that oftentimes that means denying ourselves. Help us to remember you and your example. Lord, and if there's anyone here that doesn't yet know you, that hasn't truly believed in the resurrection and in your word and in eternal life, that you might cause them to ask questions, to seek out answers. Lord, to want to study your word, to hear more of you. Lord, we ask it in your name. Amen.